Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics Podcast. How are you doing this morning, Hillary? A little tired. A little tired. Well, but I got my cup of coffee. Show season is about to start, folks. Yes. You have so, shows coming up soon this month? Oh, uh, not public shows. Nope. Gotcha. Reef stock coming up in Denver in like the 4th or 5th of March. Yep. Got then start with the Reef of the Paloozas and the Aquashellas and Global Pet. And uh, yesterday was at the Reptile Reptile Super Show in Pomona, California. Some Lots. of the photos of those snakes and really just a lot of snakes that I saw. There were a lot of snakes. Yeah, I was trying to find something other than snakes because every booth was snakes, snakes. And did you see the anaconda? Oh, wait. Yes, I did. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> it was huge. <laughs> right out of the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has his own. I think he has his own uh, Facebook page or Instagram <laughs> or something like that. It was it was massive. Yeah. Wow. Did, did you see any of those? Um, they have like really colorful little tarantulas. No, there was uh, only one spider booth i think a couple of places selling frogs and and there were there were lizards but it was overwhelmingly snakes yeah snakes are pretty easy to take care of though i mean if you can get past the whole feeding it mice which you can get them frozen so yeah there was a big boot there they had they had frozen mice that i'm not kidding i was going to take a picture of the chart they had 12 inches long those are rats oh yeah that anaconda, maybe that's what that eats. No, they probably eat rabbits. I feel like our our podcast about aquarium <laughs> issues is just like downhill real fast. Does, yes, yeah. There there was a, a company there selling koi from Las Vegas, and there was one booth there selling uh, fish. So there was a little bit of a mix, but mostly it was just snakes, 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 and more snakes. All right, all right. Let's get going, folks. Yep. Okie dokie. Question number one. Will I actually be able to see the bacteria swimming around as tiny little white things? Can you see the bacteria? If you have a proper microscope that basically has an oil immersion lens and you can magnify to at least 1,000x, you'll be able to see bacteria a little bit. But it's not like there's going to be bazillion bacteria there, or it's not going to be, as you see, the pretty color-enhanced false color image pictures where they're you know lined up like hot dogs or something like that. Those are scanning electron micrographs, which are a lot more uh, than 1,000x. You're going to see this small, very small thing, even in your field, in one or two, because the nitrifying bacteria are stuck to part of it. It's not the most exciting thing. I would be willing to bet that if you're seeing small little white things swimming around, those are probably some sort of copepod. I could be very wrong, but I know especially at night, you can usually see that sort of stuff like on the glass. Yeah, that's probably, especially if you're at a 400X or something like that. You use a phase contrast microscope because the bacteria are more or less clear. You're In the right phase contrast, you'll see kind of a, a brown. It, it's not like you're going to see this whole microorganism fill up this, you know, the, 
your screen you're looking through in the microscope. Yep. They're small folks. They're 0.2. They're less than 0.2 microns. Okay. For somebody that doesn't know what 0.2 microns is, can you give us an example of something like, okay, an eraser? Like, no, 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 no. Like, it, it is the width of a hair okay. much smaller than the width of a hair. Very, All very right. tiny. Yep. Let's move on. Question number two. Can I dose hydrogen peroxide in conjunction with refresh slash waste away at night for control over dinos? First, I wouldn't do any treatment with dinos and things if you haven't done it before many times at night and just go to bed and hope for the best. That way, if something happens and you got to always plan that something's going to happen, you be a, you'll be around, not you know snoring. Um, sleeping and and be able to intervene and fix what's going wrong. So don't recommend treating, dosing, things like that at night. Now, you shouldn't be dosing refresh and waste away at the same time, which is kind of what that question implied, right? Yeah. It said refresh slash waste away, so maybe they're okay. alternating it. You, you can definitely dose hydrogen peroxide while using refresh or waste away. You've got to dial in the amount. Be careful. Always start with a low number. The hydrogen peroxide is kind of an oxidizing agent and it, you know, starts to damage the cells, you know, oxidize the cell membrane. And then that spills out all sorts of materials and that can be food for the waste away. So you've, you've got to be careful because you're adding more organics or making the organics more accessible to the waste away bacteria, which can cause bloom. So Doing anything for the first couple of times, use small amounts, because I don't have a recommendation in terms of how much to use other than small, small amounts and work up to it, you know, work up to where you see if something that's happening. Long term, though, unless, unless you change the environmental parameters, meaning get your nitrates and phosphates up, this dinoflagellate problem is just going to come back. And if you're interested in more details, you can check out previous podcast and Hillary has some time stamped in there. Yeah. Yep. You beat me to it. Yeah. Question number three, I just added one and only to my marine fishless cycling nanotank. The nitrite is at two and the ammonia is at 0.25. Will this inhibit bacteria conversion and growth for a six day cycle? No, the amounts are when they're way above, you know, high, my five, 10 up in those levels, you know, the ammonia just turns so deep green. The nitrite is red, red, red in your test kit. So nope, those levels are fine. I would even say you could dose a little bit more ammonia. But when dosing ammonia, you don't have to dose the maximum, which is four drops per gallon. If you've got this level where you've got a little bit of ammonia in there, you can dose one drop per gallon, two drops per gallon. Okay. So there's there's no hard and fast rule, especially also consider how many fish you're going to have. We, we, we've had some people and they're dosing and dosing and dosing. And then you ask what fish and it's one better. Four drops per gallon ammonia recommendation that we give is to build up a bacterial population of nitrifiers that can handle basically about five adult size tiger barbs 
per gallon. Now, in a marine um, system, you know, that's going to be a couple of uh, flame angels, you know, some a, a fair amount of fish. Not that you would put all those flame angels. That's not what I'm saying, folks. Let's make sure, let's have that disqualifier. <laughs> thought about that real quick. Dr. Tim said, put all these. No, I did not. I'm trying to give you an equivalency of fish and food. And it's all food. That's the other thing that people, you know, that you need to understand is that we're not dose, we're dosing gallons because people have your tank. You have a 50-gallon tank, a 60-gallon tank. But how many fish are you going to put in there? If you're going to do a light load, you don't need to do four drops per gallon. It's all relative to the amount of food or food. It is relative to the amount of food, which is relative to the amount of fish that you're putting in the system. Um, we, We give guidelines, but they're just that. And you should always even after fishless cycling, once you add your fish, you should be monitoring ammonia nitrite for several days just to keep an eye on things. Question number four. I'm currently cycling a tank that has uh, ammonia at two, no nitrites, no nitrates. Should I add the one and only right now, or should I add a tiny bit more of the ammonium chloride to raise the levels? You think they've added any any one and only? Um, that's an excellent question. No, give them both cases. If you're just going to add ammonia and let you know nature take its course, you're in for a 35 to 60 day cycle. Um, so definitely add some one and only in there. And again, it just like it's ammonia. Previous answer I was talking about how it's relative. At how much am- bacteria, how much one and only you need is also relative, relative to the time you're willing to take and also your pocketbook. If you need to cycle faster, you want to cycle faster, then you need to put more bacteria into the system. If you are a patient and you're going to, you know, I just want to build a good bacterial population and I'm not in a huge hurry, then you can put in less bacteria and then go through the cycling process. And we get this question a lot. After the tank is cycled, you're not going to add fish. You know that because they're in quarantine or they're coming from a source and you can't get them for a couple of weeks. What should you do? Just add like two or three drops per gallon every three days. You don't have to add ammonia every day. Every two or three days is plenty. Three Every three days, add, you know, three or four drops, maximum four per gallon. And you, sh- and you should be fine. You're keeping that bacterial population nice and high for when you do add the fish. But in this case, uh, you, you, you can also realize you cannot overdose the one and only. So if you already dosed ammonia or the one and only in once, you can add some more if you're in a hurry. You just shake well and pour it into the system. You can't overdose, so you'll be fine. I think we talked about that in one of our recent podcasts about how the more that you add, it can help your cycling time. Right. And doing a fishless cycling, obviously there's no fish in the uh, tank, hence the name fishless. Um, but even if you've added fish and you know you've got a little spike in ammonia or a little spike in nitrite, you can go ahead and add the one and only bacteria to a tank with fish. It's non-toxic. It's not going to be a problem. It's not going to hurt anything. We get a question. We get this question a lot: is that people want to know can they add ammonia to the tank when fish are already in the system? 
or corals? And the answer to that is no. You should never add ammonia to a system that has livestock in it. That's the difference. Now, your answer to this question has given me a question that was not on my list, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Um, so 4B? <laughs> yes. I've seen people post about this on social media saying that they have established tanks that have been up and running for quite some time. And they tell me that they dose one and only to their tanks on a regular basis. Is that recommended or would you recommend people dosing another product? Like I'm familiar with EcoBalance. That's what I use regularly in my maintenance, but should I be doing one and only instead or a mix of both? Well, the nice thing about whether you need more one and only is that you can do water quality tests to determine that. If you don't have any measurable ammonia or nitrite, the salespeople aren't going to like this, Hillary, but this is Dr. Tim talking, um, not salesperson, Dr. Tim. You don't need any more nitrifiers, right? If, if you don't have enough nitrifiers, then you're going to have ammonia or nitrite. It's simple as that. We can't tell you if you have enough heterotrophs, you know, do you do you have enough of the waste away bacteria? If you have high nitrate, high phosphate, cyanodino, you know, some types of nuisance, your tank is looking a little look or smells, those are indications that you need more of the waste away type bacteria. But they're not a direct measure. Like if you have an established tank and you have high ammonia. Well, chances are you need nitrifiers, assuming the pH isn't low and you've been doing maintenance and there's no other issues. So I generally recommend people start adding uh, waste away, you know, or use that on a regular basis. And then you also have to realize that if, if you've kind of ignored your tank and then you start adding waste away and there's a lot of organics a lot, um, in the tank, Waste away is going to mineralize or dissolve those organics, and that's going to produce ammonia. So you might need to add some nitrifiers then to get, you know, bring that temporary or that ammonia level down. So in general, you don't, especially if it's a well-maintained tank, but there are cases where you might. But it's better to add the waste away or the equal balance, alternate between those. Good to know. Okay, let's see. Question number six. What water temperature is optimal for freshwater one and only bacteria? Well, the optimal water temperature to grow them at is 85. And for you Fahrenheit, oh, that's that's 85 Fahrenheit, which is 29.4. That's that's the optimal temperature, but that temperature's too high for most fish. I'd say it's too high for all fish, even discus. And one of the things you have to realize is that the higher the water temperature, the less dissolved oxygen in the water. That's why when, if you've looked at my YouTube video or my talk from Macna when it was in Orlando in like 2018, 2019, not yeah, sure, that, right. that what I said was, you know, when you first set up your tank and your fishless cycling uh, manipulate the environment for the bacteria. So you're raising the temperature higher because that's how we grow them. We grow them at like 29, 30 degrees Celsius, but that's too high for fish. So once the tank is cycled, turn the heater down and get the temperature down into that 24 Celsius, which is, you know, 76, 78 degrees Fahrenheit, which is much better for the fish because one of the drawbacks of 
higher temperatures is that the oxygen solubility is reduced at those higher temperatures. So the water just can't hold as much oxygen. And if you're doing salt water, salt water holds less oxygen than fresh water. So all things equal, doing a, you know, having salt water having the same temperature compared to fresh water is you can have 20, 30, 40% less oxygen saturation in a, in a marine tank versus a freshwater tank. Crazy how things are so different. Question. So um, what, so question to you, Hillary. Oh gosh. Everyone out there. <laughs> pop, pop quiz. I don't like that. Um, does water evaporate faster in boiling seawater or boiling freshwater? Stay tuned for the answer at the end of the podcast. All right, let's move on. Question number seven. Is first defense safe for snails, shrimp, and plants? Yes, it's completely safe for all those animals. I think that person might be confusing refresh with first defense. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah, but nope, it's completely safe. All it is is a bunch of items. And refresh? Refresh. So what we did is we did these, I call them toxicity tests, but we we did what we thought some hobbyists do, which is not measure stuff and just dump, pour stuff in. You know, that looks like the right amount. Ignore the directions. Um, And at high doses, like 10 times the recommended doses, in bare bottom tanks, tanks with nothing in them, um, we saw some mortality of shrimp and snails. So we put a warning on that. But to tell you the truth, I don't know why. All right. Okay. Here's a gel question. Number eight. I accidentally purchased a freshwater waste away gel. Can I use it in my saltwater tank or do I need to go back and get another one? You, you can use it. I mean, the the bacteria are okay you know the fresh water and salt water the salt water in many cases are fine in fresh water which is kind of contrary to what the experts say you probably won't even see any difference so the hassle of going back and returning it the expense and stuff just go ahead and use it it's not a problem nothing bad's going to happen and that goes even if you have the liquid form of any of our products if you pour in the fresh water to a salt water version, a salt water tank, nothing bad is going to happen to your system. So don't worry about that. Things just might run a little bit slower, right? Yep. Question number nine. Ooh, this is a food question. I pers- purchased your beneficial fish food along with a bottle of each of the extras that you sell. I don't see instructions on how much of each of the extras I should be adding when I make a tray of food. Can you provide some guidance on how much of each I should add when making one tray of food? Well, that's that's hard because you don't even have to add every one of them. I would probably make make up a couple of different varieties of the food rather than add every one. Uh, and we've never been asked this question, Hillary. Um, you know, I don't have a guide either of a, do you need a teaspoon or two tablespoons? You're not adding it a lot. It's, it's kind of like to season the food is that, you know, instead of, you don't want, you don't want it 50% because then the gel's not going to form. So less is better. The other thing you have to remember, especially with the garlic and the spirulina is those, uh, are as spirulina for sure are not that palatable to the fish. So if you add too much, the fish won't eat it. Adding more is not necessarily better. 
So just just a you know couple of grinds of each, or you know three or four grinds of one or two, and think about what you're trying to do. That was the whole idea here. The system um, is that both of these foods are what are called omnivore diets. So there's herbivores, omnivores, carnivores. Herbivores; these are fish that are more plant centric. Uh, carnivores, fish that need more animal protein in their diet, like a striped bass is a carnivore. It eats other live live organisms, animal animals, and it needs that fatty acid profile and stuff like that. Where, in order to maintain the colors and uh, health of you know zebra da- or uh, yellow tangs and those type of fish that are constantly grazing, you need more algae. And then the middle is omnivores, which is basically the vast majority of fish is they'll, they need both. And by grazing algae, there's all sorts of copepods and stuff, you know, eating that algae, living inside that algae. If it's uh, stuck to a coral or a rock. And uh, so they're getting that mixed diet. So you, you, you know, a little bit is much better than adding a lot. And what you could do is have a morning diet that is maybe have spirulina and the seaweed, a little garlic. And then in the afternoon, when you feed, maybe you have a little bit of the mealworms and uh, shrimp and stuff like that in the diet. And especially, excuse me, pay attention. The mealworms are like French fries. If you look on the back of the label, I think the mealworms are like 24% fat versus, yo, yeah. Fries indeed. Oh, yeah. It's just fat. Where the gomeris is like 5% fat. Now, if your fish is not feeding well, or it's just it just came off of a treatment, or you're trying to you know get it in in physiological shape to to spawn, feeding higher fat or or that fat, just like we all love French fries. What is it about that French fries? What is it about that fatty foods? Well, it's the fat. Our body is evolutionarily designed to crave that, and now that we're rather sedentary. All we do is get fat from the fat, but in, you know, in in the past when we walked and we didn't ride and we didn't drink diet sodas all or soda all day long by the gallon, things were different and we could use that. So you don't want to feed a ton of the mealworms. Those are for when, when you know, you're sick and you're feeling better, what's the first thing? Eat, eat, eat. The doctor wants you to eat because the first thing you start doing is losing weight when you're sick because you're not eating very much. Uh, you have to be careful. Every one of these things, these are of our treats plays a role. You can learn more at the website about that. And I think we did a podcast on these too. Yep. We definitely did. Definitely did. And and if you have any questions and you're you know confused, you can't find it on the website, send us a message. I'm more than happy to get you direct links or answer any of your questions. All right. Ooh, here's another nutrition question. I like these. I have a blue tang that has HLLE. I would like to add in Celcon, which is a vitamin to help boost her nutrition. Being that it is liquid, should I reduce the amount of boiling water to compensate for the amount of liquid vitamins being added? If so, how much should I substitute? Well, you know, I haven't really played with adding 
the Salcon to give us, uh, and I, I, we really should try that, Hillary. Is it I, a, a liquid or a paste? It's, I mean, it's like it's, a paste. It's a thick liquid. I've added not Celcon, but another similar product to it when I've made it. I've never reduced the amount of liquid when I've made it. Just if you can get like a dropper and just do like one drop or like a half a drop in each of like the little cube spots, it tends to work out. I mean, it, it has in the past for me. But you you don't, you probably want to limit any liquid see, see, um, uh, to no more than 25 or 30% of the total. And the reason I'm saying this is, uh, and I'm thinking on you know my feet here, um, you don't want to add the Celcon to the water and then start get it to boil, you know, in the microwave or on your stovetop. You want to add it afterwards. So you would take instead of using uh, half a cup, 120 mils, you know, you'd use 90 mils of liquid of water. Microwave that, get it, get it to boiling. Add the uh, pouch or three scoops of the beneficial fish food. Stir that for a couple of minutes, and then add the 30 mils max of Celcon and then pour that into the tray. Have never done this, you know, haven't added any of the, any type of liquids to it. It's just usually just grinding. So um, start out that and see, see how things work. I don't even know. Is there a dosage on Celcon? I know it's a very small amount. Yeah. You don't mean uh, 30 mils is probably way, way too much. Cause if you have too much, it becomes unpalatable. The fish won't eat it. So more is not better. No, definitely not. And and two, like we used to use that at the aquarium. It will make a mess when if you have to do cleaning and stuff, it, it's a mess. Right. And if you you know, it'll get your skimmer going. So again, um less is more. Look at the formula and and don't don't use I wouldn't even use 30 mils. I'd probably do maximum three mils, but I, I first would look at what it says on the back of the bottle in terms of any type of dilution. Good advice. All right. I think we've already covered this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Anyway, question number 11. Do you have cycling bacteria for colder saltwater tanks, less than 65 degrees? How does the process differ from tropical tanks? Well, we do have bacteria for colder tanks, but the, the cutoff is not 60 uh, Fahrenheit, it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. So, and there's a pretty cool study on this, a couple of them, several of them now, um, but it was done by a guy who's now a professor down in Florida. Uh, what's the university in Fort Myers? Uh, anyways, um, he found that at below 10 degrees Celsius, 50 Fahrenheit, the ammonia oxidizing, oxidizing archaea are dominant rather than the ammonia oxidizing bacteria without going too far down the rabbit hole. So oh, come on. We, you have time for a rabbit hole. If you want, if you want to go so, down the rabbit hole. So um, I actually wrote a three part article. And if you're listening to this, how's this, Hillary? 
and you email us at info at drtimsaquatics.com and ask for the three-part ammonia bacteria, ammonia or nitrifying bacteria, nitrifying organism article. We'll send you a copy. I have permission from the publisher for this. Ooh. It was in Coral Magazine. It was a three-part on the history of this because um, maybe that's a special podcast going over that or questions and answers or something. We're looking for something to do a little different, like a whiteboard or question and answer, get some audience participation. But real fast, traditionally, nitrification was nitrous ammonis europea, oxidized ammonia to nitrite, nitrobacter winogratsky, oxidized nitrite to nitrate. That was it. It didn't matter the salinity, didn't matter the temperature. Those were the two organisms. That was the process. If you could pronounce the name, you would now get a gold star. It turns out that that is wrong on many levels in aquariums. Nitrosomonas, Europea, Nitrobacter, Wynogratsky, they exist. They are nitrifiers, but they originally isolated in soils. And they are uh, nitrifying organisms bacteria that are present when there's a lot of ammonia present, like in soils, or even in some cases, not all of sewage treatment plants, where the ammonia and the nitrite can be 50, 100 milligrams per liter. You know, at those levels, everything in our aquariums are dead. I showed that, you know, it's my my PhD showed that it's not Nitrobacter Winogratsky, it's the Nitrospira. And then in about the late two, 1990s towards 2000, 2001, it was demonstrated there are ammonia oxidizing archaea. And archaea are a group of organ microorganisms that are as different to bacteria as bacteria are to, to eukaryotes. Guts, multicellular organisms. This whole thing you learned about these these kingdoms. What were they, Hillary? Plants, animals. Kingdom, phylum, class, order. Yeah, I'm trying to species. think of the the five the kingdoms were plants oh and animals and proteist and bacteria and archaea. Physiologically, they're, they're they they you know though they're just like a bacteria. Well, no, they're very different and. They were originally considered to be extremophiles because they live in these environments that are extreme, like super low pH, super high uh, temperatures, you know, the vents at the bottom of the ocean. But long story short, it, it turns out archaea are over the place. We didn't have a way to de detect them. And with modern molecular techniques, uh, we did... And they are very numerous, uh, maybe the most numerous organisms, but biologically they are, are in the ocean. It should finish the sentence. And biologically, though, they are much different than um, bacteria. So anyways, coming back up the rabbit hole, what does all this mean? <laughs> uh, is that it was known that nitrifying mixes didn't work very well in in cold water. And the thinking was, well, it's just too cold and the bacteria aren't working because they can't work in this super cold water. 
when it turns out that the bacteria don't dominate, if you take samples from cold systems like this professor did, he was working in, in aquariums in Japan because he's Japanese, um, you find that the ammonia oxidizing bacteria are very low in number and it turns about to be these AOAs. Anyway, so we, yes, for aquariums and for special requests, we have a limited amount because growing these things is slow because it's cold temperatures and they do grow slow, but that's what they're adapted for. But it's not 65 Fahrenheit. It's 50 degrees Fahrenheit, um, 10 degrees Celsius, and it's for you know, cold exhibits and people that, you know, aquaculturists that are growing, um, you know, cold like Arctic char and things like that, that have a biofilter that's below 10 degrees. And there's a lot more detail in that article and somehow we'll put a link or put something up to it. Hillary, you're in charge of that. Okay. I'll do that. Make a side note right here. And it really, truly, if you haven't read the articles, definitely send a message because they are fantastic. Question number 12. I recently had a fish tank get ick. I had put in a new cartridge of your time-release waste-away gel, so I took it out as soon as I was aware what was going on. My question is, can I rinse it off really well and then keep using it, or do I need to throw it away and replace it? Uh, you can rinse it off. You can go so far as to take uh, you know, one of the alcohol wipes and wipe down the plastic, you know, the case, the cartridge that's the gel's in, because you're not going to get in contact with the gel, and that would there were any ick organisms on it um that would get rid of those and then put it back you don't have to throw it away it should be fine to use well i think we got two more questions no nope, we're out of time <laughs> <laughs> just kidding question number 13 i ordered the dr tim's one and only from amazon and for the second time i have received eco balance is there something that i'm missing Am I better to order it from your store or is there a glitch on Amazon? So we're getting a rash of this, folks, and realize we do not ship your Amazon order. You have to pay attention to who you're – somewhere on there, it'll say that you're who, who you're buying it from. And it will never – you know, it doesn't, it doesn't say Dr. Tim. And there's only one authorized Amazon seller squared – Anyone else we can't vouch for. So if you call, you know, email, call us and say, hey, you sent the wrong stuff. We didn't send it to you. You have to go back and um, deal with the the reseller because Amazon basically lets anybody sell anything. And you could say, well, you guys, Dr. Tim, stop this. Well, that's not how Amazon works. Amazon really doesn't care how much we manufacturers jump up and down and cry unfair. They are all about the consumer experience. And so who they listen to is the consumer. So if you're being sent the wrong items, if you're not getting the service you want from these sellers on Amazon, you need to speak up to Amazon because they will stop these people. They'll just cut them off. They have the, you know, they have that capability. They won't allow them to use their platform. But a manufacturer telling, you know, asking Amazon stop doing this, forget about it. <laughs> it's just never going to happen. So, yeah. Um, if, if you want, you know, you if you want, we, we'll help you, but we're not going to replace your products. 
um, you didn't get them from us. And we'll listen to you and try to be nice about it, but there's nothing we can do unless you're buying it from directly from us or our authorized Amazon reseller, which is only one. Yep. And I'll try and see if I can't um, go on Amazon and get a screenshot of that so that you know what you're looking for. And, and if, you know, what's happening now, and we're trying to, and this is why I'm a, kind of appealing to you to complain, is that there are companies that buy out of date Dr. Tim's one and only, and then go on Amazon and sell it for really cheap because they bought it for really cheap and they're willing to work on no, you know, very little margins. And so it's kind of that old wives tale be, you know, if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good. And we've gotten right now a rash of, of a couple of, you know, three, four people saying, Hey, you know, I bought this outdated stuff from Amazon. Why are you guys sending me outdated stuff? It's not us. Um, if the price is super low, there's probably a reason. I mean, there, there are, there are authorized chewy, uh, bulk reef supply, saltwater, aquarium.com, but mm-hmm. there's, ver- there's very limited, um, you know, a- anybody can sell anything on Amazon and I won't go into how it works, but it doesn't mean it's authorized and you're not going to get the support behind it and it'll be outdated. And, um, so it's, it's just kind of a, uh, free for all. I mean, one one of the guys that works for us here, uh, his daughter got completely ripped off. I don't even understand how this works. She bought a baby stroller and she got a picture of a baby stroller. What? It was like what? Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen where people thought they were buying something and it came out to be a little miniature. You know, it was like one inch, two inches. Oh so, my gosh, I'd be so mad. It's it's a wild west out there on Amazon. You really got to be careful. Um, and uh, so I know our products aren't, aren't the cheapest, but that's because there's real research, real product, it, real effective. It, it doesn't mean that they work in all the cases. And this is something that's a little pet peeve and we're going to do something on the cellar because I, I got a bad batch. We don't send out bad batches. Okay, We, we dose and monitor the bacteria on an almost daily basis. And we only send out bacteria that's working. Now, it doesn't mean that you might not get something um, but that doesn't work, but that is very seldom because think about it. If we sent out a bad batch, that would mean there would literally be thousands of bottles of bacteria because we send that many bottles out each week. So we wouldn't be getting one you you weren't you know that lucky of winning the lottery of bad batches. We'd be getting hundreds or thousands. We never do. I mean, Hillary can see some of the emails and monitors and see that we don't get that many. So, if your cycling didn't work, could it be that there's something wrong with the bacteria? Of course, there's always that chance. I'm not going to deny that, but most likely it's something to do with the setup. And I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that these bacteria are living organisms and they definitely have preferences. 
of and preference and how and if they get what they you know if they have what they want the water temperature the alkalinity the the hardness substrate you can cycle very quickly and we've got hundreds and thousands of people that have cycled their tanks in less than 10 days but if you start manipulating the number one thing is not having substrate on the bottom or adding a ton of chemicals, ammonia removers to the systems. There's a whole litany of things which we've talked about, and we've got to do a podcast and I think even a video on this, Hillary. So yeah, I would agree. I know you have like the 13 things to know, right? PDF, but I think we need to do more on that. Yeah. So um, it's you know it's too late in this because we've already maybe gone a little long. Yeah. <laughs> we we. Um, we definitely want to help you, but just understand that these bacteria don't work at the same rate in all situations. So, you know, they have, they have preferences and preferences that they like, they work fast. And in many cases, it's kind of people are overthinking it, you know, make, making it too hard for yourselves. Yep. All right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to save that other question I had for next time because I want to hear the answer to your pop quiz. You're going to you're going to make a guess, Hillary, or I am. I'm going to guess salt water. Not slower or faster in salt water. Faster. Beep. No gold Beep. star for you, Hillary. No. Salt water evaporates or or slower than fresh water or boil. So so basically what happens is because you have all that salt and those molecules in there, you have to generate more uh, energy to break that apart for the water molecules to dissolve. Ah. I was reading about this and something else, and I thought, well, I knew that, but that was interesting, and I was thinking, I'm going to throw this out there as a pop quiz. Maybe we should have <laughs> a pop quiz in every podcast going forward. I, one, I don't like that. You don't like that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No more surprises for Hillary. <laughs> we can have a pop quiz for the listeners. If they get it right, they can win some swag. Okay. Okay. I won't put you on the I won't put you on the spot. Uh thanks again for listening, everyone. This has been uh, Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Good fish keep.